I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Uh, focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Hi everyone, and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's mental health podcast. I'm Yvette, and at the moment we're recording a series of podcasts specifically around the effect of coronavirus on mental health. I'm recording this from home and we'll be doing three episodes a week. So today I'm chatting to Hope Virgo. She's a mental health campaigner and also the author of Stand Tall, Little Girl. I'm going to be chatting to her about the challenges people have with eating disorders at present. Hi Hope, welcome to Mentally Yours. Thanks very much for coming back on. Um, Obviously we've had you on before um, but we're coming on to chat again because we're weird and wonderful times that we're living in i keep saying wonderful but they're not really wonderful they're quite odd aren't they yeah um just for those who haven't um heard about you before or had the previous episode would you mind by starting off by telling us a little about about yourself and your work sure um so i'm a mental health campaigner so i work all over the world working with schools corporates and hospitals and then also do a lot of work with the government in the UK so predominantly looking at things around eating disorders but also kind of looking a little bit more broadly at mental health and basically trying to make sure that everyone gets the support they need but also making sure that I'm doing something to try and tackle that stigma that comes with mental health and particularly with eating disorders because it's an illness that is still so massively misunderstood. Yeah, absolutely. Could you tell us a little bit more about your campaign, Dump the Scales, and what's happening around that? 
Of course. So I launched uh, the campaign Dump the Scales about a year and a half ago. And the campaign is basically calling on the government to change the way that they treat eating disorders. So at the moment, if you have an eating disorder, you're only able to access support if you're very underweight. And because eating disorders come in all shapes and sizes, because they're not about getting to a particular BMI, they're not about body image, they're not about weight. Um, they're so much more complicated than that. It's vital that we change the way that we treat them. So I launched a campaign to try and change this. And so far, it's got over 100,000 signatures. I've taken it to Downing Street and kind of met with a number of MPs around what we can actually do in this space. And most recently, I've launched a resource with St. George's uh, Mental Health Trust in Southwest London, which is basically a resource going out to all frontline staff so that they have some understanding of eating disorders, so they know how to have a conversation about it, and also to try and empower people who are reaching out for that support so they know what to say and how the whole process of diagnosis will work. Yeah, I think it's really important what you're doing because for a lot of people who maybe not know about the eating disorders so much, I think some people might sort of assume that it is, they might think about sort of people with anorexia or, or if someone has anorexia, assume they must be very thin or eating disorders is about, as you say, weight. It's, it's obviously very close to your heart as well, the work you're doing. Do you mind telling us a bit about your own backstory? Um, yeah, so I developed anorexia when I was about 13 years old and to me, the anorexia was like a complete and utter coping mechanism to life at the time. Um, I got sexually abused and I also had quite a dysfunctional family. And because I felt so out of control with things going on around me, because I hated feeling all of this emotional stuff that I was feeling, it meant that I had to find a way to cope with it because I didn't know how to talk about it. And I didn't really want to talk about it with anyone. And the anorexia was that it became like having this best friend with me the entire time it gave me this real value and sense of purpose kind of every single day telling me what I should eat what I should drink how much exercise I should do and every time I did what it told me to do I just felt absolutely amazing about it at the time I didn't realize what I was doing was really dangerous and I ended up kind of hiding it from everyone around me for about four years. And then eventually my school got involved, my mum got involved, I went to my GP, and then I finally got referred to the Children's Adolescent Mental Health Services. And then kind of six months after starting as an outpatient there, I ended up hitting that complete rock bottom and I was admitted to a mental health hospital where I spent a year trying to recover. So learning about food, learning about exercise and learning to talk about how I felt. And I think for me, the, one of the reasons that what I do is so important to me is because we we live in a society where people just think about eating disorders as being something that affects like people who are stick thin, but actually it's so much more complicated than that. And it's like this, it's like a coping mechanism when life feels so unbearable. And for a lot of people, recovery is just unbelievably hard work, kind of getting up every day and choosing to keep going, choosing to keep eating, choosing to not obsessively exercise. But it's about, for me, about kind of educating people that it's, yes, it's one step at a time and you can get to that place, but also that when you've got to that place, like recovery can just be an absolutely amazing thing and I remember when I was in hospital I kind of was reflecting on all of this stuff that the anorexia had done for me and the main thing for me was that it took away all of these emotions that I didn't want to feel and it made me just feel completely invincible the entire time so I could kind of go out and do what I wanted to do with no fear and kind of just not feeling afraid of anything and 
I didn't realize like what actually it was doing for me was stopping me living the life that I really wanted to live. And I think for me, a massive turning point was when I realized that actually the anorexia wasn't making me invincible, but that there was so much other stuff that I wanted out of life and stuff that I couldn't do if I kept listening to that voice in my head. How are you doing in the current climate? Because obviously we're living in some quite scary times right now. So if I'm honest, I think it's quite challenging. So I know for me, kind of over the last couple of weeks, when things have felt very out of control, when there's this huge amount of uncertainty and kind of feeling feelings that I haven't felt for so long, I have been really worried about relapsing, but also kind of worried about the cracks that may be appearing in my recovery. So last week um, on Thursday, I went to try and find some bread. And because everyone was kind of stockpiling and just buying everything left, right and centre, the bread that I normally get wasn't there. And had this been any other point, probably it wouldn't have had an impact on me. But because of all of this uncertainty going on, I got in a massive state about it and was just a bit like, I can't do this anymore. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, and luckily, like, I've got a really good support network around me and I know what my coping mechanisms, I know what my triggers are and I know what to do when that happens. But it's certainly highlighted for me that actually I have to be so much more vigilant now about actually what's going on in me and all of those emotions and feelings that I'm kind of going through, but also having that space to actually talk about things. Yeah, this, it's such a weird time. Um, what kind of challenges do you think people with eating disorders will be facing at present? So obviously there's the bulk buying, but there's so many other situations, aren't there? Um, so at the moment, I think the main challenges are firstly, so the bulk buying. So, and this affects actually every kind of eating disorder. So with the bulk buying, a lot of people who are getting in touch with me um, and people that I know are unable to access their safe foods, which means that actually what's happening is they're not able to then, or they don't feel able to then have their evening meals because they haven't got those safe foods available for them. Um, the other area that that has an impact on is people with binge eating disorder. So people are bulk buying and then they're going home and people with binge eating disorder are finding it very difficult to then not binge on all of that food. But then again, both kind of areas of those eating disorders are then feeling guilty that actually they're feeling these things which then puts a whole other layer of complications within that and actually stops these people reaching out for support and talking about things what do you mean by safe foods because i'm not sure everyone will be sort of familiar with that so when you've had an eating disorder, there are certain foods that you feel more comfortable eating. So for me, my safe foods include things like porridge, um, bread, probably like packets of crisps, yogurts, things like that. And for some people, their safe foods are so regimented in what they what they know to have and what they feel comfortable eating. that They have these foods that then don't give them any guilt and don't stress them out when they eat them. And at the moment, because people are bulk buying, a lot of those safe foods are actually kind of tins and porridges and pastas so people with eating disorders are left not with any of their safe foods and I guess the fear for them is that they then have an unsafe food and they're left with like this huge amount of guilt afterwards so for them they have to then juggle up whether it's worth having something that's unsafe and, and then feeling really guilty afterwards or just not having anything altogether. Sounds like a really stressful time and also there's sort of situations I'd have thought around eating with people so for example if you're isolated with your family together no, yeah, definitely. And I think that is, a, that is a really big one. I think particularly because a lot of family meal times can be quite stressful. And I think particularly at the moment when we're with each other kind of 24-7 and you're in that kind of intense environment, you are around people and you might be getting frustrated or annoyed. And then you have a meal time together, which then ag can aggravate that whole situation. I do think the one positive there about being around people is that you are kind of, I guess, 
more able potentially to have that routine I know that eating disorders thrive off things like isolation and so when you're on your own it's much harder to eat so what I've been saying to people actually if you are living on your own or you're self-isolating and you're having an evening meal and you're struggling with it maybe making sure that you FaceTime a friend at the same time or have someone on the phone that you can talk to who's also eating at the same time so that you're not having to deal with things in that kind of that concrete isolation mode as well. Are there any other activities or hobbies you found that have been helpful during this time? So I'm writing a positive every single day and kind of making sure that I have that written down because by writing it down it means that in like a week if I'm having a bad day I can come back to it and actually look at it again. Um, I'm being very mindful of what I'm looking at on social media and actually how much I'm looking at social media and I am probably the worst person when it comes to social media. I use it an awful lot but particularly at the moment I think that there's a lot of really negative stuff on social media and there's also well-intended stuff with the workouts or kind of encouraging people to use this time in the best way but I think sometimes that stuff can put that added pressure onto people so I'm being very mindful about what I'm doing and the final thing which is really helping me is actually just keeping a focus on actually all of those reasons why I wanted to get well. So I mentioned earlier about how when you have an eating disorder, it makes you feel completely invincible. And you just think that if you do what that eating disorder tells you to do, that somehow everything in life will just work out. And I think a big thing for me in my recovery, but kind of coming back to it now, is actually making sure I have a list of those reasons for staying well written down and making sure they're easily accessible. So for me, it's things like I want to go traveling. um, I obviously want to keep my job and keep working. And I also really want to have children. And I think having all of this stuff written down, it helps you when you're really, really struggling with things to actually have a space to go back to that. Um, And then I think just the final thing and on a real practical level, what I've also done is on the whiteboard in my kitchen I've written like a list of foods that are my safe foods down and so it means that if anyone's going to the shop that day and we're maybe running a bit low on porridge or pasta or whatever it might be people can just keep an eye out for those foods because then I will always have in my cupboard at least one safe food available just in case I have a bit of a bad day or a bit of a struggle and I would encourage people to do that I don't think it's not about stockpiling those foods but it's about just making sure that they're accessible to you are there any particular resources that you can recommend to people who either have eating disorders or are recovering from them during this time? So Beat are running uh, daily uh, check-ins online um, through their uh, Sanctuary app, which is available on the internet. Um, I'd also encourage people to look at the Hub of Hope, which has a list of all on- online and offline resources um, within a, a certain area postcode. And what it's I would app, also... Yeah, it's an app, yeah. They do also have a crisis um, line on that app as well, so you can text into that and I think it's really important to reiterate that actually those apps you can use and you can reach out for that support whether it's through the hub of hope or through Samaritans even if you are not at crisis point you don't have to be feeling suicidal to reach out for that support and really need it and then the other thing just to reiterate so I do do therapy still um, and this week I had my first remote therapy session yesterday in fact and I was quite nervous about doing it if I'm honest I didn't really know how it was going to work but if you are in therapy at the moment um, I would encourage you to kind of talk to your therapist about whether you can do that remotely whether you can do it over the phone and come up with a bit of a plan around that because I think it's so so important at the moment that actually if you've got that support network in place already that you keep doing it and you feel like you can do that yeah how did you find that what was the setup like 
it was quite interesting. Um, so normally for therapy, um, I go to Nor- uh, go to Norwich. So I spend like two hours on the train kind of preparing my session notes, preparing what I'm going to talk about and then have like a two hour period afterwards where I kind of download and offload and do a lot of writing around it. So this time I made sure that I had half an hour before my therapy session where I was kind of on my own. I got a cup of tea and I wrote down kind of everything that I wanted to cover in the session. I then found a quiet spot. Um, I did actually sit in the, um, I live in flats, so I sat in the communal gardens, but made sure that I sat kind of away from everyone where I had no distraction around me as well. Um, I took out with me some nail varnish to paint my nails whilst I was doing the session because I was conscious that because I was on the phone, if my phone kind of something flashed up on my phone, I might not be very disciplined at kind of focusing just on the therapy. So making sure I had some activity that was easy to do whilst talking to her. Um, and actually it went it went really, really well. It wasn't remotely awkward. There weren't any awkward silences. And I kind of imagined it as if I was there with her in the room doing it, which I think really helped. I do think for some of us and for some people it will be like a bit of a a bit of a learning curve and a bit of a work in process. But the main thing is is actually that's kind of the therapist's role to make sure that they're creating a safe space for you to feel that you can talk about things. And for me it was a vital thing to do. And I think just kind of one more thing on that I think to add is I know that over the last kind of I don't know couple of weeks couple of months we've all been feeling quite stressed about everything that's going on in the world and it's come to a head at the moment Um, and there is a lot of uncertainty a lot of turmoil and it's really really stressful and like I said earlier like we're left with all of these emotions and what I have found over the last couple of weeks is everyone's kind of been kind of making loads of noise about it kind of shouting about what they're going through how they're feeling about the impact it's having on their job and whilst it's amazing that everyone is talking about things and sharing things I think sometimes for some people you feel like you're not really being heard in a lot of it so there's a lot of noise and you don't really know where to go to for that support and so for me doing therapy this week was crucial for that and actually having kind of like a two-hour space where I just could offload and feel really really heard but also be reminded that actually whatever I'm feeling right now is valid and I can get that support. That sounds really positive and also by the way I think you have to be the most organized person when it comes to therapy I've ever heard of because I used to just I don't have it anymore but I used to go every week and I just used to kind of offload literally the first things that come we came coming into (laughs) but that's really that sounds great and um, I'm really glad that it's going well for you and um, long may it continue I think probably just to finish up what would you say to anybody who's struggling especially with an eating disorder at the moment in these situations I'd say don't feel guilty for what you're feeling I know that that kind of intense guilt that you might be feeling around food, around the stockpiling, about even maybe the guilt for reaching out for that support at the moment because you feel like there are so many other people who are worse off than you or who should have that space to talk about things. But whatever you're feeling, that feeling is valid and it is okay to go back to the basics with your eating. It's okay to go back to having kind of safe foods and having that routine as long as you were talking about things um, and making sure you're getting that support. And a big thing is just to remind mind everyone that just because you're self-isolating just because you might be quarantining or that or just because of this uncertainty it is not an excuse to stop eating um, and it's not an excuse to not put yourself first so there were some great tips from hope there one of the things that i thought was really great was how she mentioned doing a list of positives so a positive thing every day something similar that people have been mentioning online is also like starting a gratitude diary or maybe sort of writing down something you're grateful for every day 
Um, one thing that I was really happy about today is it's a beautiful sunny day. So um, that's going to go on my list of positives or my gratitude jar for the day. Uh, maybe you could give that a go too if you think that might be helpful. So this is goodbye from mentally yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from Thanks very much to Hope Virgo, our guest, and also to Juliet Nichols, our producer, and to Lucy Baker for the jingles. If you'd like to come and have a chat with us, we're on Facebook. Join our group, it's called Mentally Yours. We're also on Twitter at MentallyYRS. If you've been affected by any of the things we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116-123 or head over to samaritans.org. If you'd like more information about eating disorders or you'd like to chat to somebody, you could head over to Beat's website. That's beateatingdisorders.org.uk. They have a helpline for adults, which is 080 801 0677. They also have a Beat Youth Line, which is 0808 801 0711. See you next time. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.